0: You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends.
1: I know you travel. Well, most of us travel. And I love visiting with folks after they've been somewhere, because I, I like to learn about the place, the people, the culture. And the community the environment generally speaking most people when I ask them about what was it like where did you go how did you get there tell me more about your experiences they don't tell me about the neighborhoods they don't tell me about potholes or streets they tell me about experiences that they have they tell me about places where the community was engaged in an activity that was so profound they remember that and they sometimes remember it years and years and years later I say it that way because I'm old enough in fact, I just was sharing with my guests the experience I had in 1970 yes I'm old that's a long time ago and what's important about those experiences they rarely are an accident. Someone makes a decision to take some type of a role in their community to make it a better place for the people that live there, the people that come and visit, and the com- people that come and visit, and sometimes they want to stay. It's a very an intentional effort that makes experiences in the community memorable fun exciting and i have two people with me today that i've been an admirer of them for a long time because they're doing incredible things in the city of fargo north dakota they have an organization called folkways so it's a great pleasure for me to have on mike seminary and friends simone way and joe bergham the co-founders of folkways Simone and Joe, it's great to see you. How are you this morning? And welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends. I'll start with you, Simone. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you so much for having us. We are excited to be here.
1: It's a pleasure. I'm glad you're here. And Joe, how are you?
0: Yeah, doing very well. Excited to be on the show with you today.
1: I think the first time we really met and interacted was over. In this case, I I think it was primarily you, Joe. And I say it that way because you're a team. You guys are
0: mm-hmm.
1: inseparable. You do so many incredible things. It was when you were in the process of meeting with the state legislature in North Dakota, which is a somewhat conservative state legislature, and trying to share with them the importance of shared rioting services. I don't remember if that's exactly what it was called but that's where we met Uh, and I even gave testimony that day for the importance of shared riding services now Uber and Lyft whatever I think that's where we first met and I've been following the two of you ever since so I'm going to start out with this question you're incredible entrepreneurs what do you, and I'll start with you first, Simone, what drew you to the type of entrepreneurial activities that are about sense of place, activating important spaces in the community, and making that decision to impact a community in a very profound way, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Where, where did that come from, Simone?
2: Well, you started with travel in your introduction, and I think that that is a great place to start. I mean, Joe and I have, been, um, have lived different places, and we've traveled to different places, and I grew up traveling to Europe with my parents. Um, in the summer, we didn't have a lake place, so we went to Europe for three weeks, <laughs> um, and that was our trip. Um, and just seeing, seeing different ways to experience city life and people's own lives um, and seeing that, like, you're in a in a beautiful European city and you think, oh people live here like this is what they do. this is the place that they spend time seeing public squares and public markets and active street life um, and thinking this could be the place where we live. how do we bring that to the place where we live? We started out um calling ourselves experience designers. Of course, no one knew what that was <laughs> um and <laughs> uh, we called ourselves placemakers before that word was, was a thing. But if you think about kind of the root of that word, making a place. In other places around the world, those places have existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, you can go back to um, early Roman days and how they set up their cities and, and, their, and their lives. Um, and, and looking at us now, we've had to create those modern versions of that um, to help us socialize with our community and bring our community together so our our inspiration is definitely um different ways of living around the world and um, really wanting to give back to our community um and live the lives that we wanted to have in our community you know we wanted to have a farmer's market so we just started and <laughs> we wanted to have live music events so we planned them and we invited our friends to our house to have have those kinds of things and it just really grew because People enjoyed it. People like seeing their neighbors. They like, um, you know, having their kids play um, in a safe environment while they chat and drink a beer and listen to live music. So it's really beautiful to see how well people have responded to the kind of events that we put on. And um, and like you said, the experiences that they know they're going to have when they come to a Folkways event.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: But well, we could end it right there. I mean, that's,
0: <laughs> good you know,
1: knows There's a lot a lot of great information. How about you, Joe?
0: Yeah, I'd maybe take it a little a different way. I think that um both for myself and for Simone, I feel really fortunate that we had um families and also mentors and opportunities as young people, I mean as middle school and high schoolers, to have really place-based experiences. Um, absolutely from a design standpoint, there's inspiration drawn from other, um, parts of the world, but I think there's a lot to be said growing up with the support and community of that idea that you're you know, you're planted here, this is where your roots are. Um, and there is, you know, family and there's tradition and there's history. Um, we are both super involved in service work in high school. So volunteering, um, doing food drives, um, and I think a lot about the power of, um, getting out of your own ego in volunteering and serving others um, and how place specific that was in our work. And so I think that there's a lot of energy from that where we were, you know, 16, 17 years old and there was a wave of energy in Fargo Moorhead that said, wow, if the young people don't want to live here, our community doesn't have a future. And so there was a concerted effort to say, how do we support high school students? to create the community they want to live in, to empower them, to improve the place that they live Um, because there was real data that showed that young people felt like they couldn't make a difference and that adults didn't care what they thought. And that really shocked the community. And so I think that for me is a real foundation to our early projects, which was willing to take a risk to do a block party in an alley. And that we'd had years of people saying, "Hey, like you are, you're valued in the community. Your ideas matter. Like you can create a difference here." And so I think that spirit really created the seeds of of being in our home and being in this place. Um, as well as for me, I mean, I had a chance to live in Chicago and Los Angeles and Seattle and kind of get off the farm per se. Um, and those cities are all great American cities. But they're so big. It just had such a different feeling to a place that. Um, was it small town, you know, small city, um, but I could make a difference here, you know, or I could get involved in a way that felt really good to me uh, versus just being, you know, a minnow in a sea, you know, living in Chicago and not really knowing anyone. And so those, those things I think all really contributed to this idea of um, how do we make Fargo the best, Fargo Moorhead, the best place on earth to live. How do we, how, how is this the best small city in America is a thing that we've really been asking ourselves. And for us, we think that really comes down to a sense of belonging and community.
1: You started during a time when the phrase "sense of place" was being used fairly regularly, and it was confusing for some people because they had no idea what what do you mean when you're talking about sense of place. And um, and it came after a period of time. And this is primarily, I suspect, my generation that did this. But if you if you put this over what happened in Fargo-Moorhead, where at one time the heart of Fargo was downtown, and then all of a sudden West Acres was created in 71, 72, and there was this di- division, if you will, that changed really forever. You know, whenever there is expansion of a footprint, we could talk about that a whole, a whole bunch i think
0: well, that's another podcast I yeah
1: when there's an expansion of a footprint it creates opportunities but also cr- it creates some problems and some of them are are long-lived well, all of a sudden there's a uh, there's this division there's you know four miles away from the hub of downtown where everything forever took place and now people are divided and and on top of that when my generation started pursuing their careers, so many of us would go to our homes in our neighborhoods, hit the garage door button, pull into the garage, shut it. And we were almost done for the day. We had put in 10, 12 hours or more, and it was family time. You rarely, rarely communicated with a, a lot with your neighbors until kids started growing up and they were in sports. <laughs> But there was there was still this space that wasn't being, it wasn't as healthy and vibrant as it used to be. And that's why I opened up saying what we experience, it was intentional. Somebody planned it. You because rarely does it happen accidentally. You had some people prior to you, like downtown Dave and others, that were working very aggressively in. Um, changing downtown Fargo. But I think one could make the case that it's been really the past eight, nine years where it's gone to a whole new level. And so so here's my really my second question after I rambled there. How do you go about assessing where where the space is at, where the community's at? and planning some type of the next event. What what are some of the steps you go through, Joe, to get from point A to B?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, I mean, there's a lot in what you shared that I could could build on, I think, just in general, um, in terms of where we are socially as a community. Um, and we're absolutely uh, I, we often say that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, there are folks that have were investing in downtown Fargo well before it was cool. I mean, I felt like we we got to start doing events here when there was a cool factor, whether it was you know my mom Karen Stoker with the Hotel Donaldson, um, you know my dad Doug with Renaissance Hall and NDSU coming downtown um, to folks like Margie Bailey at the Fargo Theater, you know or downtown Dave, um, you know or Monty's or you know Warren and Randy at the Old Broadway, Greg Dan's Zambros. I mean, there are um, you know peers of yours that have been running businesses and seeing the value of downtown for a long time. You know, when we think about creating experiences and our objective, we use the word vibrancy a lot, um, which is kind of a hard word to describe. Um, you know, we think of it as as an energy or a buzz. Um, you know, if you're if you're at a at a good party, you know, there's just a feeling in the room or you know, you walk into the kitchen and people are chatting and there's just this like, yeah, like this is a nice this is a nice vibe, you know, for lack of uh more objective determinants of, of what is vibrancy. But I think there are factors that people equate to vibrancy. I think it is, you know, smiling faces passing them on the street. It's outdoor dining. It's live music. It's, you know, flower boxes. And, you know, the space is nice. It's clean. It's well taken care of. And so for many of us, we experience that level of street life or city vibrancy when we travel. Um, we're going to Europe, we're going to Disney World, or we're, you know, walking around a riverfront in Chicago. You know, a lot of these cities have that level of vibrancy. So for us, part of the reason we're downtown is because it is walkable. We think that's a really key part of how to create these vibrant experiences is when we as humans, as neighbors, as as Joe and Mike and Simone are interacting, um, it has to happen at a human level, human scale. Driving around in an automobile, um, that isn't human to human. That's automobile to automobile. And that isn't where vibrancy necessarily occurs, right? That's a utility that we experience in our lives. And a lot of our lives are centered around that utility. So beyond that, my background from grad school was in human-centered design or design thinking. And so as event creators, experienced designers, we always ask ourselves, what's the goal? We always want to have a North Star. And that goal can be as simple as have a thousand people come. Um, But for us, it's usually something more something like how do we create a moment for grandparents and grandkids to celebrate the winter season together? Thinking about we live in the north, we live in a cold community. Um, What are those intergenerational moments that celebrate the season with one another? And then that's the seed that we start thinking about and conceiving a concept and a conceit for an event that gets us to a spot like our Chris Kindle market. Inspired by Northern European holiday markets, which have been happening for you know decades or hundreds of years in Northern Europe, celebrating the Yule in the winter season, um, and thinking about how do we take that and make that our own with the place that we have here, and creating those moments for everyone in the family to enjoy that hallmark snow globe moment around the fire pit roasting a s'more, or coming into the beer hall and hearing the carolers sing, and grabbing a uh, you know a worst and sitting down, and running into a friend or a neighbor that you haven't seen in a couple of seasons. Those are the moments that we think really start to build that social fabric. And so for us, that that meta goal among everything we do is creating those moments to connect community, to, to deepen that social fabric for community members to feel seen and heard. And that's where the belonging is born. And we think that belonging is just innate in the human condition, is that desire to, to be, feel seen, to be part of a tribe, part of a community. Um, and as you said, for many of us in the past decades, It's my car and my house and my garage and my radio station and my schedule, and it's my family unit and decisions that I'm making. And there isn't that level of communal engagement, um, that I think makes belonging possible, whether it's faith communities, whether it's rec basketball, um, you know, whether it's volunteering or you go to the same, you know, bar every Wednesday with your friends, you know, to grab a drink and a burger, you know, those, those are the moments that I think people really think about in their lives. Um, but we just don't have the environment that really leads to those happening naturally. Um, and I think that's part, largely part of our built environment and just the social lives that we live in, in America.
2: Yeah. You touched on just on that. We talk a lot about isolation and loneliness, you know, like what, what are our, what is the opposite of our events? (laughs) It's kind of, is kind of that is, is isolation and loneliness. And, um, one one statistic that I love to share, um, we survey our participants and um, we asked them, how uh, did you when you came to this event, did you see someone at the event that you didn't come there with? Did you recognize someone that's either, you know, family member, friend a neighbor? Um, and 84 percent of people said that they saw someone at the event that they knew that they didn't come with. And that is what. Community is. That's what we're all working towards. And we were just talking about the other day. um, uh, What is it called? Blue zones, people that live till they're 100 and why they do that. And yeah, you can eat all the food and you can do all the exercises. But really what it comes down to is having a sense of purpose in your community, being loved, (laughs) having friends um and and having a sense of purpose. So I think that's at the end of the day what we what we try to work towards, what our events try to be.
1: More, I'm gonna stick with you because what you just said, <clears throat> excuse me, and I believe this is also on your website. You reference communal experiences. There are plenty of people and me included, in fact, recent podcast guest was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So we started talking about, you know, mental illness and health in general, and then that specifically, and the attachment to our family with regards to bipolar disorder. Communal experiences go a long ways to improving the mental health I don't want to say of everyone but of most people because we're designed we're meant to connect with other people and that's the beauty of what you're doing as a team when you activate space in downtown or wherever it is you're bringing together people the things that are important to us music art food, the ability to connect, I got to say coffee, coffee, and connecting kind of go hand in hand. When you're planning an event, do you have the boxes that you check with regards, <laughs> okay, we have music covered, we have this covered, we have this covered, Simone. And if you're checking the boxes, how do you share that with uh, for example, the businesses and others that are located in the same space that this is what's going to happen in that. How, how do you do that when yeah. you're checking the boxes?
2: Well, that's where the experience design, the nitty gritty of it comes in. And um, like we' was saying, yeah, we really try to we really try to create these opportunities for these. You know connections to be made these um communal experiences to happen um these intergenerational moments so um i'll start with a couple different things um you want people to be able to have the opportunity to spend time there um whether it's is there food is there coffee is there music is there is there something that they've never seen before i've been working a lot this season on this year on costumes for all of our events. Um, Because if our team is dressed up and there's characters walking around, it just sprinkles in more moments for people to say, wow, look at that. Um, And experience that sense of awe or wow or joy with the people who they're with. And the people that they're around, um, and we really take a step back from our events and really try to see them from a visitor's eyes. In how many things, when they walk through at any given time, are they going to be surprised or delighted, or um, you know, look at their kids um, with a with a new sense of wonder, um, and really be able to craft that experience from the moment they enter into into the space. And along with that, we do really take into consideration, you know, the space that we're in as placemakers. How do people interact with the businesses around them? Do we have them at times that are complementary? Do we have vendors and experiences that are complementary? You know, we open the market. We don't open the market at 6 a.m. because we are a downtown farmer's market. We open at 10 a.m. because we want people to grab lunch, grab coffee, pop into a shop um, and and really support the neighborhood ecosystem and be part of not only going to a farmer's market and going home, but making an entire day of shopping local and being part of their community and seeing their neighbors. And that goes for our other events, Night Bazaar, Chris Kimmel-Mart, um, all in hand, um, even with Campus FM, our um, media studio that we run with college students, that all goes to um, show off our town and the people that are in it and the and the small businesses people run. So we all kind of see it as like a little ecosystem of someone having an amazing time at our events with their friends and family and then becoming part of the community, becoming a regular somewhere um, and really embedding themselves here.
1: I should let folks know, thanks, Simone, that um, Red River Market goes from July 8th until October 28th, and it's from 10 to 2. And while I'm on that show, it looks like this year's market compared to last year's is significantly larger. I mean, there are there are more vendors.
0: Yeah, absolutely. By
1: maybe a block worth mm-hmm. or more. Is that a correct observation?
0: Yeah, we've been um, thinking really as a social venture. When I mean, you talk about sort of what kind of enterprise we are as entrepreneurs and um you know, we're a charity, but we're, we're social entrepreneurs. We're trying to use creative problem solving um, like entrepreneurs to solve social challenges like isolation and belonging. And so for us, um, the growth in vendors has been part of our sustainability objective as an organization to reach that level of economic parity that Folkways is sustainable long-term. And it's also amazing to have so many small businesses that are so good. Uh, Mm -hmm. We got to the spot where we had a list of folks that we waitlisted and we said, we got to figure out how to create more space for these um, small business owners because they're just creating really amazing products. Mm So, yeah, the market continues to grow we're one of the largest street markets in the state We're the largest farmers market um, handily uh, we see about 85 stalls so there's we quantify our work in 10 by 10 pence so <laughs> about 85 stalls it represents about 70 some odd businesses weekly but we draw from a roster of well over 100 businesses um, and we've had over 450 business contacts since we started as an organization, um, many of those launching at the market because there was a marketplace um, to to reach customers.
2: Yeah, I think overall we're up 20% on our vendor roster this year at the Red River Market.
1: One of the things I love about attending, and this is my old retail mind, I'm a bag count guy, so if you... In the old days of marketing, when you'd go to a mall and you were wondering how's business, the best data that you could readily access is the number of bags in hand, right? So if there's just a lot of people walking for exercise or not carrying very many bags not necessarily a good sign for that weekend mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but when I when Deb and I go to the Red River Market the bad count is always off the charts <laughs> is, and if, if for some of the vendors you you better be patient because they have real loyal followers and the lines are deep and long mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's a testament to the great success that you have as a team and reaching out and connecting with people that are enjoying what they're doing Along the way, do you have some people that express their concerns about what's happening in in their city? I mean, put it put it that way.
0: Really, no, genuinely. I mean, I think when we when we were starting early on, we had um I think associates, people in the community that maybe thought we were moving too fast or thought it would take longer. And so there's a lot of the hesitation when we first started the farmer's market. And I think this is just an adage where I think a lot of people start with why things won't work. Generally, it's easier to come up with, you know, a half dozen reasons why that idea isn't viable versus really what people need, what what entrepreneurs, what young people, what anyone at any age that has an idea needs to hear is why will it work? And my favorite is when people say, "Well, well, how are you going to insure that?" And, and to me, it's just like the most throwaway mm-hmm. comment uh, for someone coming up with an idea, particularly a physical experience idea, um, because insurance is in a business too, and they'd be happy to take your money to insure your idea. <laughs> um, and so that that was an early, you know, early bear here that people people suggested. But you know, overall, I think. We really think of ourselves as community builders in our ethos. Um, but from a, a practitioner standpoint, we're designers. Um, you know, I mean, you think of engineers, designers, we're, we're trying to solve problems and have a process to overcome those. And so even as it relates to retail success in the farmer's market and the layout, we're thinking about retail design and retail science and how do we increase dwell time? you know how do we have people spend more time at the farmers market because we think that helps reach our social objectives and it also helps our small businesses you know if you spend more time at the mall you're probably going to buy more um, and the same goes for the farmer's market where if you can spend four hours at the farmer's market, because you start with coffee and you listen to some jazz and maybe you go get lunch then you realize you haven't had anything for dinner. So you need to go buy some produce and <laughs> then you see, oh, there's a gentleman sharpening your knives. You're going to bring back your knives the next week, get those sharpened. And, you know, oh, that's someone's birthday. So we better pick up a little gift. You know, all those components we think are, are really intentional. And so it's, it's fun to be designers in that way and solving those problems. Um, And that's a lot of the world. I mean, a lot of the world is someone had to design what this button looks like on the Zoom call or how this microphone fits in the box. And so we're taking a lot of that thinking and just applying it to uh, the social entrepreneur, sort of how do we improve our community through design?
1: I've always been kind of taken aback with folks that their default is it won't work. (laughs) <laughs> and, and why even start? And the reason I say that, especially here, we're we're an agrarian based community. But what farmer ever had that kind of approach to business? That I mean, will never work. I mean, we we all be starving, right? <laughs> and one of the beauties of what I'm hearing, I didn't create what I I'm about to say I actually heard a version and then stole it and I wish I could remember the fellow that I stole it from that leaders political or non-political one of our main responsibilities is to use resources in a way prudently, that helps to create an environment that either attracts or retains talent. And if we do that well, almost everything else falls into place. Um, almost everything else. You know, providing you have a community that has a dependable, sustainable, affordable source of water. It's a clean environment. There's great educational opportunities, access to world-class health care, and so on and so forth. But somebody still has to be working towards that goal. And that's really what you're doing. You're using resources in such an incredible way. For It's attracting people to come. I like that dwell time. Dwell time. We want to work on the dwell time, get people to stay longer. But it's, then there's travelers. When I, I can tell you that when Deb and I were in this process of the lists of places when we were going to leave the former city we were in, Fargo wasn't necessarily at the top of the list at the time for a variety of reasons. Mainly weather, I have to be honest, because we both have rain odds, and that's a bugger. But holy moly, when, when you don't have Fargo on your list, push the weather aside for a minute, mm-hmm. boy, you're really missing out. We, the, Between the Red River Market, the Night Bazaar, the Canoe Parade, I don't think it was held this year, and then Chris Kindle. This is... Um, this place has got it all going on. It, it, there's something for everyone. There, You are so intentional about providing the space and the atmosphere where people can connect and build relationships. It's all about... Uh, healthy building, if you if you will, uh, Simone. What are some ways that people that are are listening to this podcast? What are some ways they can be of help to you and folkways?
2: Absolutely, there are so many ways to get involved. Um, we rely on the talents of very many people uh, to put these things on as you mentioned, it's not just us. Um, So beyond attending, we have tons of volunteer opportunities. Uh, People can come, especially for Chris Kittlemark, uh, the week before whole week, we have opportunities for people to um, be part of our little elf workshop and set up the event. Um, During the event, we have tons of volunteer opportunities um, and it's a really good way to meet people. We have a lot of people who have just moved to the community uh, volunteer either at the market or at Christmas market, because it's just, is such a fun way to, to make new friends. Um, and then beyond that, of course, um, we are a nonprofit organization and we rely on donations and sponsorships to make this happen. Um, so if you are a part of a business, um, that this would be a good fit for your marketing dollars or really just team development dollars, um, to be able to support this type of event, um, that's really helpful. Um, and then individual donations as well are part of Giving Hearts Day. The Red River Market is part of Giving Hearts Day in February. So that's always a great way to donate. But um, we have all, all on our website. Um, you can check
1: out uh, opportunities to donate there. Folkways.org. Correct. Joe, The the bucket of ideas... So you have we have the the four right now and, and roughly how many people. Come and take advantage, visit, what, what, what's the kind of the head count for the four events during the course of the year?
0: Yeah, our team, we produce about 33 event days a year, uh, predominantly July through December um, is where most of the events happen. And we estimate over one hundred and fifty thousand visitors. Oh. we should go campus of M too a little bit though. Yeah, we definitely can as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we've got our our main community programs. So Christmas market, Farmer's Market, and Night Bazaar are our main community events that are our public markets that happen downtown. And then we've also realized just with that design thinking ability that we have to to really look at things critically, that a lot of our work is about belongingness, stickiness, being that magnet culturally for people is that there was a real natural fit for us starting to use that strategy and work to connect with college students. You know, we've got three major universities here in the Fargo-Moorhead area. We have three technical programs and schools So about 28,000, you know, individuals that are going to school in the Fargo-Moorhead area, which is really unique, not being a quote college town, right? It's not the primary employer. It's not the only thing happening, but it's a huge part of The culture, whether it's professors and teachers or the symphony or the opera, I mean, just sort of this influx of talent, let alone the students that come here and in turn, their family that come and participate in our community um, economically and socially. So we took this thinking, we said, how do we engage with college students at a really authentic level? And we were inspired by a program out of the Philadelphia metropolitan area called Campus Philly. And they really said, we have to connect with students where they're at and how they're communicating and create opportunities for them to better understand what exists in Philadelphia. So we took that playbook and have launched our Campus FM, Campus Fargo-Moorhead, which is really twofold. So one, we have a summer internship experience that's a supplement for businesses. So if you're a business and you have an internship program and you're looking to deepen that experience for your intern, this is an opportunity for that college student, that young adult to meet other interns, to see the community at large and work on professional skills, project management, um, career development, um, as well as things like how do you navigate ambiguity? you know, How do you give and handle feedback? Um, so really thinking about what are those soft skills in the workplace that are so important for success that don't always get taught in the university setting? And then the other program that we have with Campus FM is really a rather simple idea, but it's been profound, which is instead of a bunch of us who aren't college kids sitting around the room, trying to think about what college kids wanna do, what if we just hired college kids to talk to college kids about what's interesting in Fargo-Moorhead? And so what we've done is we've created a skills-based program where we teach students uh, digital storytelling skills so social media management brand strategy uh, the tactical tools how do you do social media online uh, with all the different platforms that exist and then um, they're paid as interns to go and talk about capture what they think fargo moorhead has to offer that's interesting both professionally and, and uh, culturally and so we're in our fifth cohort of students they run our at campus fm instagram page Uh, we're launching a youtube channel there's zines in the works there's stickers around town there's one of the ideas they want to do is they want to get one of those giant uh, bouncing blobs and just like bring it on campus (laughs) it's like you can you can jump on the blob if you follow us so there's a lot of really fun fun ideas that are coming out of this and i think it's really akin to where simone and i started which was in some ways it's not it's the means not the end if we can support young people in our communities, wherever we are, wherever you're listening, uh, and I think particularly in small rural communities, if you have a high school, figure out how to support those kids, ask them what their ideas are and and say, let's figure it out because they're going to learn along the way, whatever the idea is, they're going to be able to grow and have an experience that's meaningful and feel empowered. And I think in an age when we don't really have coming of age ceremony or ritual, that sense of empowerment as a 15 year old, as a 16 year old that I can make something is one of the most important life experiences I think people can have. I think particularly in age where a lot of people think they have to do it right. There's one way to do it and there's there's hesitant to take that risk. So a little bit about Campus FM, it's been a really cool program. We're really grateful for the Chamber of Commerce in Fargo, Moorhead, the Economic Development Corporation, uh, the state um, has been granting dollars to the Commerce Department. Um, and so all of that has really been able to fuel this work where we're reaching I mean, thousands of college students in a way that they are more engaged with what's happening in Fargo, Moorhead. And we think in turn are are way more likely to choose to to move back here after college or start their careers is really what we're we're prompting them to think about.
1: Thank you for doing that. <laughs> When I was a senior in high school. The mayor at the time. Because the the mantra of the day was, there's nothing for us to do in Fargo. I'm sure there are plenty of people that say that to this day. Usually when you're saying that, you're not looking hard enough. Anyway, so we put together this youth board. I won't mention the mayor's name. We met at the old depot, right on Main or NP, whatever it is, because it was abandoned, and there were some city offices there. We met, I don't know how many times. And then the mayor did nothing (laughs) with all of the ideas that had been kicked around. And some of them fleshed out pretty well. He he did absolutely nothing. And it was always a sense of disappointment for me. Because here I was, this young guy, thinking that here's this community leader that cares enough that he put a team together, is getting our ideas, but really did nothing with them. And I understand that can happen from time to time. But thank you for doing that for a number of reasons. One, they matter. Their involvement <laughs> really makes a difference. Um, and the more of us that are involved, the better off we all are because we really are making it our community. And then, lastly, giving another reason for those that, and we, just like you, we want young people to leave, go somewhere else, have rich experiences. And should they decide to come back, they come back, you know. They, they come back with better ideas that can make yeah, the yeah. community even more That's vibrant, easy. a better place. So, thank you so much for doing that. So, you both traveled a lot, have experiences from communities that are different, have all sorts of unique opportunities, but you came back. Simone, why? <laughs> well i I think
2: joe kind of touched on this a little but i mean it's it's just so easy to to do things here and make huge impact um you know we've had folks come in and work for us from around the country and and we've you know we've done we've done different projects in different places and When you're in Fargo, it's like, you know, you're only really like maybe two phone calls away from the person you need to talk to or get permission from. And it's just it's so it's fun and easy to just like make a big splash here. Um, Our events really, really took off because of the authenticity that they would be able to have with the with the community. Um, I think people were really easy. It was really easy for people to latch on to our events and make them theirs, make them feel like. Um, this was, you know, something that they've always gone to or always been a part of. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just a fun little place to kind of be our little experiment laboratory, um, and just try things. And some of the stuff we have done didn't go that well and we cut it and some stuff really took off. And, um, now, you know. Thirty 000 to fifty thousand people are going to come to the Christmas market in um, a few weeks here, um, and and have an amazing time. So it's just been a really really fun way for us to give back to the community that we grew up in, and and really make something that's ours.
0: Yeah, when I think you, echoed, go ahead, Joe. I think echoed maybe said a little bit differently, but the same is is that sense of possibility. Mm-hmm. And I realize not everyone identifies as an entrepreneur. And and I think that the idea of entrepreneurship has become rather um, software, high growth tech, you know, there's sort of a, a bubble that that exists in. So I sometimes just like the idea of starters, you know, you're starting something and that could be a hobby that could be an Etsy store. It could be a full-time endeavor. It could be, you know, a podcast in retirement, you know, it, it doesn't need to be a business venture per se, but I think that desire to start things is a very healthy uh, component, that there's there's freshness in our lives, that we're creating something, mm-hmm. um, again, whether it's commercial or recreational. But that sense of possibility is so strong in this community. And that's the thing that I often leave with people say, well, why are you still in Fargo? Or why would I leave my community? And I mean, when I was living in Chicago, it was just so daunting to think about, well, how how would I even go about starting a coffee shop if that's what I wanted to do? Well, there's so many and there's uh, everywhere and they're going in and out of business every single day up and down the street. You know, I came back to Fargo and there was this coffee meetup that was happening. Birds, and it was a local coffee roaster. And then the guys that were opening up another coffee shop started coming. And that idea of cooperative competition, cooperation was so, so present. It's like <laughs> absolutely downtown Fargo could have multiple coffee shops and it wasn't this cutthroat kind of thing. And so I think that sense of barn raising with your neighbor, you know, you couldn't get the crop out of the field if a storm was coming. You didn't help your neighbor. You know, we weren't able gonna, to save the city if we didn't sandbag together. But I think that sense of place, that identity of, of true struggle on the plains that a lot of people have felt generationally, I think is part of what makes our community so special. And today, I think that manifests in a real sense of possibility that people can create things here if they so desire.
1: It's pretty hard, unless you're really cold-hearted, it's pretty hard to stay pissed off at your neighbor very long, (laughs) knowing that 40 below is coming, (laughs) and if maybe somebody's going to have to help you. You know, jump your car. (laughs) 100 inches of snow are coming. (laughs) And you got a bad back. You're going to really want your neighbor to help you. You're going to have a flood. And if you're not all having each other's backs, you got a problem. I like the way you did that Joe. Magic wand question. And I'll start with you, Simone. If you could wave a magic wand <laughs> over the heads of everybody that hasn't experienced Red River Market, Red River Market, what's the one thing you really want them to know? and you can answer this one of two ways, specifically about Red River Market or folk ways that help with the team generate Red River Market, either either one or both. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think for what what I'd want them to know is that, um, you know, we're more than just vegetables. (laughs) You come down to this place and it is like a little community festival and there's live music and there's cooking demonstrations and we match purchases made with government food assistance, SNAP dollars. And we're just trying to not only create of a market, but we're trying to create um, a place where people can intergenerationally learn about food and be part of a community. Um, And we want people to participate in that. I think overall for our organization, I'd love people to know um, that we are a community charity. um, And when you support our vendors, it doesn't necessarily mean you support our organization. Um, and we'd love to employ more people and we'd love to grow and we'd love to put on more events, um, but that isn't always possible with the resources that we have. So um, I'd love for people to know that they can also be be a part of it and support us. Hmm.
1: Joe, same question for you. Thanks, Simon. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, as co-founders, we've thought a lot about how how do we make something that's built to last? And what would it take for the red river market to be here in 50 years? When we look to cities around the country to try to learn about farmers markets, we're one of the young, we are the youngest farmers market in the country. Um, I mean, cities like Cincinnati or even Santa Fe, I mean, these places have gone from farmers markets to public markets, or they're still outdoor open air markets, but they've been around for 70 years. And when we think about kind of the the legacy of community for our Fargo Moorhead area. And part of the reason we started a farmers market was if we're really the breadbasket for the world, like we say we are, why can't I buy a tomato on a Saturday morning in downtown Fargo? Which, which to us, having lived in Minneapolis and Chicago, is sort of innate to a city experience, is that there's a Saturday morning farmers market. So I think the thing that that I hope people would know is that for that 50-year vision to happen, um it's going to take every visitor to donate the worth of a cup of coffee to the, to the regular market, you know, for two to five bucks a person, um, this institution will be here for 50 years. And I think that's really what we're trying to figure out how to communicate and share that story for that sustainable vision. Um, Cause it's, it's hard being, being so well loved as an organization and then still just the uphill battle that, that so many charities have in, and figuring out how to become sustainable. Um, and that's really sort of our core pursuit right now is we have a lot of ideas on the back burner and a lot of fun uh, festivals and events that we want to be able to share with the community. But we feel like before we can move on to some of those, we really want to make sure that things like the Red River Market are built to last.
1: I can't think. Um a like experience in North Dakota that has the a couple of things one the potential for long legs number one number two <clears throat> the type of atmosphere where it's so welcoming yet high energy With a variety, you know, maybe the variety of the Minnesota State Fair, (laughs) where there's great food, great music, great coffee, great connecting opportunities, great conversation, excited vendors, excited people in a fairly small place. You know, it's a space. It's about three, three and a half blocks, something like that. And almost everything you need I don't want to say want necessarily. Almost everything you need is there. And it's so darn memorable. (laughs) I just cannot think of another like opportunity. And the the closest one I can come to is probably Lake Como, where that's a part of Europe where back to what you were saying earlier, Simone, the open air markets is where people go every day. They don't go to the grocery store like we do. They go to the open market every day for fresh vegetables, uh, herbs, all of those types of things to prepare the daily meal. And along the way, they sit down and have an espresso or something with their neighbor. They get they get connected. There's usually some musician in the street, some artisan selling their wares. And they do that every single I don't want to say every single day, because I wasn't there every day. Mm-hmm. But every day I was there, that's what they do. Thank you for what you're doing. It is, without a doubt, one of the best examples of intentional, passionate work that's making a difference for everyone. And in some ways, you're just getting started. I mm-hmm. I look forward to what the future brings be, for our community because of the, with the the work of the two of you and your team. I want to thank the people that donate and sponsor. Encourage people to do more of that, uh, because we want this to be bigger and better and brighter. Any closing comments? You know, this is your time, uh, I'm going to let you guys kind of close it out. And I'll start with you again, Simone. Any closing comments from you?
2: Yeah, well, we have our one of our largest events coming up, which is Chris Um, It is our winter hallmark holiday experience. Um, it is just a magical time. We are running two weekends this year. We've expanded the event, so we're going to be open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before and after Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll be down at the Civic Center again, um, and we'll be an indoor outdoor event with our winter wonderland outside. Um, our gift market inside and then our beer hall where we partner with Drecker to um, put on tons of live performances and um, enjoy the mulled wine and um, different delights that our friends at Drecker make. So um, please bring the whole family down and um, all your friends and enjoy uh, what our community has to offer during the winter time.
0: Thank yeah, thanks, me. mom. We're really excited for the Christmas market this year. Um, I didn't think of it until now, but I know I mean last winter was tough. I Mm -hmm. mean, it was a long winter for people in our community. And we've thought a long time about how do we how do we really thrive in winter? How do we how do we change the narrative of being a northern community? And that we are different than Kansas City or Omaha. Those are mild places compared to the environment that we're living in here in the north. And so years ago we took a trip to Scandinavia and we're really asking ourselves, you know, how do these Northern European neighbors, um, how do those Northern European neighbors really thrive? You know, what are some factors And We came back and we said, Sonic is, is really key. Um, so is the social aspects, um, dressing for the weather. There's no such thing as bad weather. It's just, you know, dressing appropriately. Um, But so we built a sauna, we built a mobile sauna. It's about seven, eight years ago. And so we're really excited to be expanding upon that and and really trying to elevate this seasonal conversation in our community. Um, I experienced seasonal depression and I didn't know the signs and didn't realize um, until it was St. Patrick's Day, which is pretty late in the winter. And so I'm really on a, um, a community crusade to think about advocating mm-hmm. and uh, creating the right type of stories that we can tell each other about um, celebrating the snow and getting out and snowshoeing about being in the sun, whether that's taking a long lunch or starting your workday late in order to capture that sunshine for, for errands or recreation. <laughs> um, I think really, really organizing our time around how do we, we get that vitamin D <laughs> and then how do we sauna more? You know, and, and some people have saunas in their homes, um, many fitness facilities have them, but we're excited to to be providing more sauna opportunities uh, for folks this winter in the Fargo-Moorhead area. So all on the Folkways website, but we have big dreams of building a, you know, 30 foot drop trailer mobile sauna and trying to do 150 sauna days a year. So if you're passionate about sauning and, mm-hmm. and want to come and sauna or um, you also had a hard time this winter and want to talk about it, like, please, please reach mm-hmm. out. I think it's just so important that we we create a different narrative about how do we thrive in winter and uh, and and support each other in that journey. Lots of stuff um, from Folkways in the season to come. So we hope you all can enjoy it. I love it. Folkways.org.
1: Any other <clears throat> ways people should reach out or is that the best way? Folkways.org.
0: Yeah, our website. We are Folkways is our Instagram channel, um, and then we're um, also on LinkedIn, um, where we're sharing more about the behind the scenes and kind of the thought leadership work um, that Folkways is doing. I hope as listeners can tell from this conversation, we uh, we put on community events, but there's a lot under the hood. There's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of fun thinking uh, that goes into it as, as designers and experience creators. And so, uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's all on LinkedIn to hear more about that.
1: Joe, Simone, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much for what you're doing in the community. It is so important and it's a big deal. And you're loved. Appreciate you so much. You have a great day.
2: You too. Thanks for being a part of it.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) i <laughs> you.